Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. marcharse de ese miedo. miedo de momento está enchufado ahora justo lo digo y justo se pierde ahí a punto está de cometer penalti pepe 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 gol de Nicola pepe pepe is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm all right. You were in my dream last night. <gasps> it suddenly occurs to me. Was it a sexy dream? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was staying at your house. Okay. And your daughter came back for the first time in ages, which I believe happened. And I gathered this from social media. And then I somehow have implanted myself into that reunion. Right. Dream. Okay. Yeah. Well, did you have a nice time? Oh, it was lovely. It was great, great to, you know, <laughs> be reunited with you all. Yeah, she's home for the first time since uh, December 2019. So, uh, yeah, it's great. it's great to have her back. But wouldn't uh, it be better if I was there as well? well? Do you know... Now that you mention it, uh, yeah. it, it does feel like something was missing from the whole it's day. It's actually so, quite yeah. an underwhelming experience <laughs> without me. But don't worry, in my dreams, it's all correct. Okay, well, look, uh, now that I know I've missed out, I'm feeling a bit blue about the whole thing. But hey, <laughs> maybe we can make it work <laughs> another yeah. time. Uh, preseason is over. That's good. Is it? Is, is that good? Well, I don't, I don't I think know. It's good. This preseason is over. We've not been. We've not. Our, the results haven't been very good in no. as far as they matter. Yes. Uh, yeah, we will talk about preseason as a whole, I guess, as as we go on with this particular episode. But I suppose we should be talking about the final game of preseason, which took place yesterday at the mm. whatever. What's the? I mean, we can call it the toilet bowl or whatever. But does it have an official name? Is it like? New White Hart Lane or White Hart Lane Mark II or what's it yeah, called? I don't actually know. The Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. But well, that's not very imaginative, is it? I know, I know. Well, I, I think... Wasn't Highbury actually called Arsenal Stadium? The Arsenal Stadium, bizarre? yeah. Yeah, so they've they've nicked that from us. I mean, I'm going to be calling it White Hart Lane, to be honest, or the toilet bowl, more likely. Mm. So, look, we, we played there yesterday... And mm-hmm. um, we lost 1 0. Shh, we don't want anyone to know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think we could possibly take a couple of positives from it, though. So I think we should start there. And one of the things I was interested in yesterday was the team selection, given that it was only five, six days ahead of our game against Brentford on Friday night when we start the new Premier League season that we're in uh, completely great shape for. Um, And I was looking at a few areas where I was saying, okay, if he does this, then we can surmise or assume that if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the one that intrigued me the most was who was going to start in midfield because we had the news confirmed over the weekend that Thomas Partey is going to be out for, well, they say he'll be back in training in about three weeks. And given the um, mistake we made last season with Thomas Partey, bringing him back too early from injury, you would imagine that they're not going to make that mistake again. I say that out loud and I feel ludicrous for saying it because, you know, I wouldn't put anything past this club, to be honest. But you assume that he is going to be out until the international break and the game against sure. Norwich. So he's not going to make... If we've learned anything, it must be to not rush him back. Yes, if... Very, very if, big, big. If. if we can learn anything, are we capable? <laughs> let's hope it might be of this. learning. Machines can learn, James. Even machines can learn. Mm, so that's true. That's what they talk about, isn't it? Machine learning. Anyway, uh, I was looking to see who was going to start in midfield because, you know, like you, I'm sure, and many of our listeners, the prospect of going into a new season with a midfield partnership of Granit Xhaka and Mohamed El Neni was not particularly exciting to me, but he did play Albert Sambi Lokonga, and mm. if it was an audition of sorts to sort of give him a game against uh, decent opposition, then I think he he came through it very well. I think he's got the part, suffice to say. I think he has. I think he has. I think he... Um I think he's been pretty good throughout pre-season. Mm. Sometimes a player comes in and you can see that there's an acclimatization or an adaptation going on, but it feels like he's sort of hit the ground running. Um, I mean, look, competitive football will be played at a different tempo and certainly a different tempo to what he's used to in the, mm. in the Belgian league. But I really like what I've seen from him. And I guess what it comes down to is, do I think there's anything Mohamed Elneny offers us particularly that, that Lakonga can't. Mm. And at the moment I'd have to answer not really. I mean, he seems capable of sort of, doing it the simple stuff but he also seems capable and willing to do slightly more adventurous stuff on the ball too and there were some nice passes out towards Kieran Tierney in the mm. fullback position yesterday I think um, he is a better kind of replacement for Partey in terms of his ability to turn to go past people to push the ball forward um, I think he did enough to, to start the Brentford game do you think he will start the Brentford game? Um, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, you know, simply because I think you can't, and this is probably something we'll, we'll touch on uh, throughout the show as well, is you can't expect much to be different or improved unless you do different things. And playing Mohamed mm. Elneny, with the greatest of respect to him, doesn't really give us anything different, you know? Um He's a, a fairly safe player, but we've seen what he can do. He 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 is fairly unadventurous, uh, even mm-hmm. if he can score the odd rocket here and there. And I think when you spend seventeen and a half million pounds in this market on a twenty-one-year-old midfielder who was captain of Anderlecht, you know why wouldn't you look to use that player um, in the Premier League? I, you mm-hmm. know. 
if he if he was coming in and he was all over the place and you know he didn't look good in preseason and you were you're looking at him saying well yeah he definitely needs a bit more time he needs to bulk up a bit and and maybe that's true we might see him in the gym uh throughout the season but you know if he was all over the place you say okay well look you know it's a bit too soon for him but i don't get the sense from watching him and albeit in preseason and it's just preseason and all that kind of stuff you know, he it wouldn't scare me. It wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be afraid of starting him on, on Friday night against Brentford, you know? Um, how else are you going to get anything different from your team? I, I agree. And I think, you know, I do believe there <laughs> there aren't many, but there are times and places where Mohamed Elneny is appropriate or where you can benefit from having someone who is kind of, let's say ultra conservative or you know a, a decent structural player but not much more than that I'm not sure a way to a newly promoted team is one of those occasions and should be one of those occasions I think Arsenal could afford to go with a slightly more adventurous option mm. um, and actually I thought you know I thought the balance of Shaka and Lukonga looked decent in the first half yeah um, I you know, and, and more broadly about the friendly, I thought the first half was sort of okay. Um, if even if there were some sort of familiar issues, I thought, you know, in that part of the pitch, Arsenal looked relatively strong. So definitely, it, he did enough. And I, and I mean, I, I guess you might come on to this, but I thought the other summer signing who started, Ben White, mm. looked very good too. I agree. I agree. I liked what I saw from him. Uh, uh, you know, we weren't as exposed with a high line as we were last week in the game no. against Chelsea. Now, maybe we didn't push quite as high and, and uh, playing quite the same way. But yeah, I like what he did. I like what he does with the ball. I like that he looks forward and looks for passes. He looks very comfortable on the ball as well, doesn't he? Uh, carried it well. Carried the ball, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, what we're looking for from him, we saw glimpses of that yesterday. Again, you know, it's... Uh, it's a small sample size. We don't have a lot to go on when it comes to Ben White in an, in an Arsenal shirt. But certainly, uh, if you're looking for things to be encouraged about from yesterday, I thought he, Lukonga, uh, and Smith Rowe were probably uh, the three players who, who stood out for me. I mean, I think Kieran was fine, but, you know, that's what we sort of expect from Kieran Tierney, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So those, those were the positives for, for me anyway. Did you have... Um, did you have anything else that stood out? I think Bakayo Saka coming back and obviously getting back uh, onto the pitch and getting some minutes in his legs is a is a good thing for obvious yeah, reasons. Yeah, and he had a couple of dangerous moments too. I think the execution wasn't quite there, but he got into some good positions. Um, I thought Nicola Pepe had some threatening moments. I actually thought Bern Leno made a few really good saves as well in the game. Um and my heart was very much in my mm. mouth when he went down injured at one point. I'm sure we'll come on to that situation too later on. Um, no, I didn't really have any other sort of major positives from the game. I think, you know, for me, the sort of general frustration was one that I've experienced watching Arsenal before in recent times of sort of, you know, possession mm. that arrives at the final third but isn't necessarily created into threatening goal-scoring yeah. opportunities. I mean, there was the Aubameyang on the left thing, which, you know, I, I don't think we really need to do a deep dive into that. Mm. Um, you know... I, I, I think I think it's, 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 it's partly down to 
a lack of options. Well, that's, yeah, I was going to ask you, did you feel like that was simply because, you know, we don't have Martinelli, uh, Saka's only just back, so we weren't going to start him. Um, I can't People remember who else. People to see Willian play in that position. No, he know, wasn't. He wasn't there at all. Wasn't on the bench. Um, Do we know why? We there was no explanation offered. I think by Mikel Arteta after the game. Uh, whereas Rob Holding, there was some talk of a, a fitness concern, mm. not being quite right to play. Um, and obviously, Joe Willock, we subsequently found out was mm. absent because he's discussing a potential move to Newcastle. Yeah. William, I don't believe there's anything imminent there, but I think the fact that he wasn't part of the group probably shows. Um, I mean, he could have you know, a, the clubs could have clubs. an injury, couldn't he? I mean, I suppose he could have an injury, but I'd be, I, I think that would have been mentioned. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't know. But either way, there's no great clamour to see him on the left. No. Um, Emil Smith Rowe playing on the left is an option, but you would you, require someone else to play at the ten. Yeah. Um, so I think it is kind of a function of... It's a consequence of a, a lack of options right now. And I don't massively expect that lack of options to last into the season. But I think it's possible it will into the first couple of weeks or the first couple of games. Mm, sure. Yeah, well, clearly there are issues, um, you know, with regards to creativity and, and chances and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you will have Martinelli back. You will have Saka back. So that does make a difference in terms of options. Um, but, Do you, you think know, either of those players will be ready to play against Brentford, though? I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Saka started. Really? Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I don't know why you would go into the first game of the season with Aubameyang on the left and Lacazette as your striker, particularly when you were just reminded of how... I'm not going to say... How do I put this? It, it's it's not effective. And it's certainly not effective at the moment because I think there are issues with Aubameyang that we might talk about. But, you know, if you've played a preseason game you've you know you've picked that team because maybe you don't have any other options but maybe also because you want to see will it work you know Aubameyang down the left trying to put in crosses with his left foot Lacazette dropping deep and then there being nobody in the center forward position uh, when someone like Kieran Tierney overlaps for example Mm. I just don't think you can reasonably expect to go into the first game of the season and for it to be significantly better than we saw yesterday, which wasn't that great at all. So then what do you do? You don't have another number 10, so Smithrow has to play there and he can't play on the left. The only other option is, really, the only realistic option is Saka. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I don't know, but I I wonder if they'll be ready to put Saka straight into that starting lineup or not. And I think if they don't, as you've just laid out, it, it might be by default be a bamming there. I hope Saka is ready, but I am also cautious with him, given mm. everything he's been through, I mean, mentally as well as physically. Um, I'm cautious about, you know, rushing him into the season. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting because at the end of last season we were talking about how many options we have in the wide areas of the pitch and then circumstance has kind of meant that we suddenly don't have that many. But yeah, yeah. So um, how concerned are you by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? 
I am concerned. I mean, the missing chances thing, I can kind of make mm. my peace with that to an extent. Mm. Like, he's always missed chances. Granted, he usually takes some too. And it's pre-season and ultimately those misses don't really mean anything. Mm. You know, there's that encouragement of he's in the right positions. I do think his overall game, you know, given that he he's had a big break, really. I mean, he went, I think, away with Gabon for a bit, but then pretty much had a decent break. Given that he must be very hungry to kind of turn things around after what was a really difficult season for him on a lot of different levels last year. Mm. Um, he's not looking as sharp as you would hope, for sure. That's, yeah. What do you think? I think that's a really good way of putting it. I, it feels like there's something missing. I don't know if he's still feeling the effects of the malaria, perhaps. I know that it is something mm. that can um, linger uh, for people, so maybe it's a bit of that. But it just looks like something is is not quite there. And you know what? It might just take a goal for it to click, yeah. you know, as can happen with strikers. With strikers. Yeah. yeah, you know, so fingers crossed he can, he can get back... Um, you know, to, to where he wants to be and where we need him to be. Um, but yeah, it is a bit, it's a bit worrying at the moment. And I kind of, the more I see, the more I understand why Arsenal appear to be looking for a striker during this, uh, during this particular window. So, um, yeah, we've got a few questions about that. So mm. maybe we'll come on to the striker situation, but it is a bit of a concern. And I do think the, the playing on the left thing is is presumably part of that. But I also think there's kind of a general demeanour that, that does concern me. And maybe we're reading too much into what are friendly games. Maybe at his age, with his experience, there's a degree to which he paces himself. He knows he's mm. got 38 competitive games to play and he'll switch it on when the first whistle blows on the season. I don't think we can rule that out as a possibility, but I think it's it's natural, isn't it? after seeing him struggle last season yeah. and not exactly set the world alight in pre-season to go, hey, have we got a problem here? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, what else from yesterday can we look at and read into? Um, I mean, the right-back decision was interesting as well. Um, yeah. You know, Callum Remind James. Me, who played? Was it, well, was Hector it, was Bellerin it started. Hector Bellerin played, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, having having played Callum Chambers there a lot uh, of late, uh, or certainly towards the end of last season, with Bellerin's situation still up in the air. I mean, this is the way it went yesterday. Hector Bellerin came on, or started the game at right back. And then Ainsley Maitland-Niles came on to replace Hector Bellerin. And then when, I think it was Granit Xhaka went off, or Lukonga went off in midfield, I can't remember which one, we brought on Cedric to go to right back mm. Uh, and push Maitland-Niles into midfield. I mean, does that say anything to you about the pecking order of our right-backs? It's quite hard to decipher, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of difficult. I mean, there's so many of them for a start. Mm. Um, and and I, I, if I was a betting man, I think I would probably still err on the side of Callum Chambers for the Brentford game. I just think... There was that run at the end of last season where you could sort of sense he was Arteta's first choice. Maybe things have changed a little bit with Bellerin. We don't know the details of the conversations that are happening behind the scenes with him about his future, about, if we believe what we read, the possibility of a new contract. Mm. Um, maybe that will shift things. But 
honestly, I feel like Cedric, with respect, is kind of making up the numbers there. And Maitland-Niles has plugged straight back into that sort of utility role, as he showed in the friendly yesterday, playing a couple of different positions in yeah. the course of his his time in the game. Um, I think it is between Bellerin and Chambers. And I think they're probably different enough that it, if Bellerin stays, it may be a kind of horses-for-courses courses approach. I think at least one of the others, you'd like to think, will leave the club this summer. But as we know, it is a a tricky market and a tricky market in which to sell people. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, um, yeah, I don't know what to feel or think, to be honest, uh, given that we are just five days away from the start of the new season. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if there was a machine which could read anxiety levels between <laughs> one and 100, yeah, and it's strapped to your head right now. Where are you on that? What's what's the number ballpark? You don't have to be precise. Like the machine would be, you know, forty two point eight six seven. You know, but you don't have what to be is quite like, that. What's precise. just like a gen- is zero like a sort of you know, Z- resting rate? Yeah, zero. You're absolutely zen, and mm. one hundred. Clearly, you've got the the pitchforks and the flames and sure. all that kind of stuff. Going I'm at on. a live Phil Collins concert at one hundred <laughs> in the front row. Yeah. Um, I I am actually very chilled, I think, by the measure of the average Arsenal fan. I'm probably at like a 30 or 30 or 40. I think if I had to take the temperature of the fan base generally based on my social media interactions, mm. I think we're tipping over much higher than that. We're in the kind of 70 70-ish kind of ballpark. Where would you place yourself on that scale? I'm sort of like... I'm a 55 and rising by the right, by yeah. the minute kind of situation, you know? Um, you know, things like yesterday. What's doing that to you, though? What, like, what's, what, what, what are the things? The things that are doing that to me are the, the, the sameness mm-hmm. of quite a lot of what's going on. You yeah. know, the, the front three yesterday. And again, I know it's just a friendly, but the sameness of that front three, which has never really worked. Do you remember how excited we were when Pepe arrived and we thought this front three of Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang would be really something. We thought it would be quite special and and score lots of goals. And, you know, it turns out two years down the line that it's not really that compatible. And Mm. it's that you know, that worries me a little bit. And I know we just spoke about how it might be different for the opening game of the season. But, you know, when you see things like that, the the Shaka situation, you know, again, not to relitigate that whole thing. And, you know, he's a good player, but people are ready for something new. Uh, And nothing new has happened. The right-back situation is the same. Nothing new there. And, you know, I think that's an area that people think we could improve on. Central defence... Uh, you know, the, the the Lord giveth in Ben White and the Lord taketh away in the shape of Pablo Marie yesterday, who was really quite poor, you know. So I think it's just that. And the fact that the big issue that we have as a team is creativity and scoring goals. And there hasn't really been anything in preseason to suggest that we have done a great deal to address that at the level we need to address it at, if that makes sense. So I know we scored four goals against 
Millwall. I think we scored four against Watford, was it? Possibly. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. The, Three against West Ham. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So I just feel like there's a, a, not enough has been done to address the issues that we we need to improve on. And therefore, I'm beginning to get a little bit more anxious than, than you are. I mean, do you think it's fair? Because the window is open until the end of August. We all know that. But do mm-hmm. you think that the start of a season is an appropriate point at which to uh, take stock of what we've done in the market so far? Or is it a case that the the market... Being the way it is this summer, more than any other, is um, requires us to take maybe a step back and to try and chill out, like you, with your feet up in your hammock, probably <laughs> thinking of your next I, I mean, holiday, I, like Edu. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. but but you know, do you think it's fair that on the eve of a new season, fans can be? Aware that the market is still open and there's still time to do things, but also anxious about the fact that we don't appear to have done quite as much as we would have liked. Oh, I think it's completely understandable. I don't mm. think anybody's wrong to be anxious. Um, by the way, my dog is snoring in the corner of the room, so apologies if you're picking that up. But um, I, I think that with this transfer window, and probably all transfer windows, but something I've mentioned on here before is that I always felt that it would happen in two phases, you know, that there would be a kind of initial phase of business where there were players that Arsenal could sign kind of irrespective of um, anything else, any outgoings. And then there would be a secondary phase, which would be towards the end of the window, which was about, you know, getting players out and getting replacements in. And I still think that is the case. I think the issue is... (laughs) The feeling is that Arsenal's window has lost momentum. You know, we made a few good signings, exciting signings, Tavares, Laconga, White, good promising young players, but it sort of has fizzled out from that point on. And ultimately the reason that's happened is because the sales, as we were saying last week, have been nothing like I think anybody anticipated. And I think that Mm. counts internally as well as us on the outside. Um, I suppose my degree of kind of ease with that comes from the fact that Arsenal are not in a unique position I think there are tons of clubs around Europe who can't get rid of their players and while I wish we could I sort of am relatively understanding of how difficult that is right now if you look at even in the Premier League clubs like City, Chelsea uh, Liverpool they've all got extraneous players they don't need that they can't get off their books you know do you think the Premier League is in sorry um, to interrupt do you think the Premier League is in danger of becoming its own market in a way in that you know because of the financial implications and the way that every club across Europe has been impacted the the size of salaries etc etc in the Premier League and transfer fees even as well make it much more difficult to move players to other smaller, if you like, European clubs or European leagues because the the money just isn't there. I mean, you look at France, for example, and um, they've got all kinds of issues with their TV deals. Uh, mm-hmm. La Liga, I think, have just taken 
they've sold 10% of their themselves to some venture capital company to well, I don't know exactly why yeah you know Look there's a messy situation yeah in, in you know Barcelona. yeah so you know is there a danger that the the market for the 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 players you want to sell is increasingly small or smaller yeah I think that's true and and something we've said on here is is that's why there's a degree of sense in uh, you know, pursuing English players because you cut, they kind of retain a market value in the Premier League. Um, I mean, look at Joe Willett, for example, and, and there may be others in this Arsenal squad like that. I think that's right. And I think that you'll see more of what Arsenal did last January. And I suspect what they may do to an extent this summer, basically English clubs giving players away, you know, just mm. to get them off the books. Um, I think... It's 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 a really tricky position, and I know it's not much comfort to fans because they're saying, "Well, we get that that's the lay of the land, but we still need a number ten. Yeah. We still need a goalkeeper. We still need a right back." But I think everyone, and maybe this is folly on Arsenal's part, but I think everyone within the club and maybe outside the club too was guilty of thinking it would be a little bit more mobile this market and a little bit easier to move players on. I mean, I. I don't believe for a second that Mikel Arteta and Edu, whatever you may think of them, are looking at this squad and thinking, this is absolutely fine. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to sound as tearful as that, but maybe that is how they sound. But I don't believe they're looking at it and thinking, well, we choose to make no more signings. Like, we think this squad is good enough for the Champions League right now as it is. Yeah. I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're stuck a bit right now mm. because they can't they can't create the room and they can't create the money but there's still a lot of work to be done in an ideal world and the creative part of the pitch i mean you know we all wanted to improve in the attacking third on what we did last season but from the second half of last season the one where we were actually decent mm. we've actually lost a player in Martin Odegaard yeah we're one down on where we were yeah, he, I have to say he sounded or came across as a bit frustrated yesterday, Mikel Arteta, in, in some of his post-match comments when he was asked about, do we need to add more in attack? And he said, what we have is what we have to maximise and worrying about things we don't have at the moment. There is no point. So he's talking about, um, you know, trying to get the best out of the players that we have. Uh, you know, he sounds like somebody who would like some more of the issues to be addressed uh, yeah, even, I think so. Yeah, um, and I can understand that. Like, you know, we're going into the first game of the new season without a number two goalkeeper. As it stands, something might happen mm. this week. I don't know. You mentioned last week, didn't you, that Ramsdale is due to play a, a League tomorrow. Cup game, is it tomorrow? So we're yeah, waiting to see. I, yeah, I mean, they've got a couple of other sort of keepers in the squad, so... Uh, maybe maybe some sort of compromise be, will be reached. I think there's going to be more talks this week about that deal. And Arsenal, you know, he's, he remains the number one target uh, for that position. I think that the aim was always to have someone in place by the first Premier League game. Mm. I have to be honest, it's Monday now. We play Friday. I'm not sure how realistic that is. I think we might be in a situation where it's, well, let's hope we get someone, well, let's make sure we get someone rather in the transfer window rather than by the first game. So, you know, get ready to start feeling nervous watching Bern Leno, um, you know, go into any challenge for the next couple of weeks. Um, but 
I, I, I mean, that's something that's just a kind of a necessity, mm. right? You know, we're talking about areas of the squad where we've got four right backs or, you know, we've got, you know, X number of centre backs. Mm. A goalkeeper, we just don't have enough. Um, and so that has to and will, I'm confident, be addressed, be it Ramsdale or be somebody else. It's the other areas that I think are more worrying, isn't it? In terms of, you know, if, if we've not been able to sell Lacazette, say, does that mean, well, we, we we do sort of understand that that means that we probably won't get a striker. And if we're not able to move Shaka on, clearly we haven't been and we've made a commitment to him instead. And number 10, you know, Martin Odegaard, we all know was the main target. But if that doesn't come off, um, and it feels like a long shot from where we stood right now. Where does that leave us? You know, I think it is natural to have those concerns that the job is going to feel unfinished and that the revolution that we hoped for in the summer has been a bit kind of... I don't want to say half-hearted because I think the intent was there, but ultimately that it hasn't happened. Mm. Um, the only caveat, and I guess the only optimism maybe that I can offer is that there is an expectation that the market could go a bit crazy in the last couple of weeks simply because there are all these clubs carrying excess players I mean Chelsea have got 42 players in their first team squad at some point clubs are going to drop prices and start moving people on just you know to balance the books a little bit yeah a bit like Arsenal did in January and and if that's happening at the big clubs you know PSG Man City these are teams that need to shed some players. It may be that, you know, Madrid potentially, it may be that Arsenal are in a position where if they can move on players of their own, they can pick up some of those scraps and those scraps from those kinds of clubs could be quite useful to yeah. the team in our position. But another, this is another all conjecture. big if. Another big yeah. if, you know, at what it's, point. It's massive conjecture. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about market forces and those are very real, of course. We, we all understand that, but those don't go anywhere to solving the problems that we have or you know to to generate the kind of improvement that we would like to see from this team i think the creativity uh element to you know this squad has got to be addressed the goalkeeper absolutely we got to get a goalkeeper in and we've got to get uh, another creator we've got to get more creativity into the team um and that, I think, can only really come from the transfer market, albeit, you know, you could make a good case for Bukayo Saka adding some of that, maybe Gabriel Martinelli adding some of that, but but getting service to our strikers, um, yeah, and whoever that striker might be, it feels more and more like, I, I know you said this um, last year at some point, that, that neither Lacazette or... Aubameyang feel like the right fit for the kind of striker Mikel Arteta would want. Yeah, you yeah, know? and I think I think that's borne out really. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think they do really. The neither of them seems quite perfect, and it is interesting that in a squad where we've got two experienced strikers, we've got a couple of promising young ones in mm. Balogun and Martinelli. We are being linked with forwards, you know, and I think that shows that there is an awareness. In some ways, I think that might be the most transformational thing Arsenal could do. I mean, if you think about the construction of a football team, often it's built around a centre-forward, you know. Mm. Often it's designed around a centre-forward. It's kind of the, the literal spearhead of the team. And if we feel like the ones we've got, neither of them are quite right, I accept we've made 
significant financial commitments to both. Um, you almost wonder if, like, you know, just change the the entire attacking setup of the team around a new centre forward might might be the most compelling and interesting thing Arsenal yeah. could do. You yeah. know, in Saka, Pepe, Smith Rowe. You know, we do Martinelli. We do have interesting support players there. I don't think we should forget what Saka can bring and how much more creative he might make us. I mean, he, you know, he's mm. been superb and he had a very good summer too. But I do look at that centre forward and think that's going to be a pretty critical piece in the eventual puzzle. And it, it feels like a matter of time. If it's not this summer, it will certainly be next. Yeah. So look, we have or are about to make our first significant sale of the summer. Joe Willock going to Newcastle, mm. it seems, for a fee of around 20 million, maybe rising to 25 million with uh, clauses, etc., etc. How do you feel about it? I mean... It feels a little bit dictated to by the fact that nothing else has been done or we haven't been able to sell any of the other players we might prefer to sell ahead of him. So how do you feel about Joe going? Do you think 20 million is, is it a good fee for a guy who can score goals from midfield? You know, uh, yeah. you know, we paid 50 million for Ben White. Joe Willock is more experienced than Ben White, I think, in terms of Premier League appearances anyway. Um, Maybe in terms 20... of the number of appearances, but I would I would doubt in terms of the amount of minutes. Yeah, I, do... I, I'd be very surprised. I mean, do you think 20 million is a good deal? 20 million maybe rising to 25 million. Is it a good deal? I think it's fair. I do think it's fair. I don't think it's... A sensational deal. I don't think it's as good as the Alex Awobi deal. Let's put it like that. No. Um, I think, given that seemingly Newcastle were the only real club in the market, understanding the financial limitations that they tend to operate under, accepting that Joe Willock's run at Newcastle, while brilliant, um, is probably unsustainable, I think it's about fair. I wouldn't say good, I would say fair. What about you? Do you think it's a bad deal? I don't think it's a bad deal in the current market. Um, would you go so far to say it's a good deal? I don't know. I've got a gut feeling that this could be this could be one we might regret a little bit. Maybe not in the long, long term, but certainly... Um, yeah, I, I looked at Joe Willock as somebody who could potentially contribute to this team uh, during this period, you know, while we were... Seeking another creative midfield player, maybe this season, you know, as somebody who just gives you something completely different from any other midfielder you have at the club. Um, mm. Now, his willingness to play that role is is another question. I think it's fine, to be honest. Um, Twenty million. I hope we've got clauses in that, though. Like, I hope there's a big sell-on clause, and I hope there is. You know, if it all goes brilliantly. Um, these things very rarely work out, but like a buyback clause. I mean, I'm not mm. saying that should be make or break for, for the deal, but I do think when you're selling a player like Joe Willock, who maybe has the potential to kick on and and really develop into something um, good at Premier League level, just having those options is is sensible, I think. But I suppose it would depend on... Newcastle being amenable to to having that as part of the deal as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I think 
it, it, it's a little reminiscent of the Emmy Martinez deal, isn't it, from last summer, where Arsenal had a player there who'd had a very good few months, mm. but wasn't necessarily a guaranteed starter um, for Mikel Arteta with Bernd Leno, president of the club. Um, in a, a market where they weren't able to sell a number of other players, an offer came in that was a, a fair good price for a player and they took the money. And I think in the moment, that was an understandable decision. I think hindsight and Martinez's development since then mm. calls that potentially into question. And I think the same will ultimately be true of Willow. I think this is an understandable and um, reasonable decision to mm. sell Joe Willock. If Joe Willock <laughs> continues scoring, uh, <laughs> maybe not in every game, but, you know, gets to double figures, let's say, people will queer it. Um, every goal will think, be a dagger in our hearts. Yes, exactly. But in the moment, I understand why they've done it. Now, now what I would say is I think it, if you have been able to sell, say... Hector Bellerin, say Alex Lacazette, say mm. Granite Xhaka, and create revenue to reinvest through those channels, through those means, then maybe it's a more difficult decision about Joe Willock. But mm. ultimately, he's one of the very few players where a club has come and met the price we had on his head. And my, my understanding was always that if someone got over the £20 million mark for Joe Willock, Arsenal were very prepared to listen. Um and somebody's done that. Yeah. So they've they've taken the deal. And, and I'm sure, well, I'm confident that money will funnel its way back into the squad in some way or other. I mean, what we have lost there is a player who scores goals. And we're talking about a team that's lacking in attacking threat. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and also we've, we've lost a player who can, albeit in a very different fashion, rotate with Emil Smith-Rowe and, and play that position off the striker. So I do think it leaves us... I think needing someone in that even more park even, even more, more than we already did yeah yeah mm. uh, beyond that there doesn't seem to be anything stirring with anybody else when it comes to the the departure lounge though does it I, I think that's right yeah certainly in terms of people going out there's nothing that seems particularly imminent um, uh, and that's that's a that's a problem for Arsenal you know it's it's a as I said, they're not the only ones in that position, but maybe they needed it to happen a little more than most. Mm. Yeah, I'm about 62 now, I think, on that old scale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the window's got a little way to run and, and who yeah. knows, there might be life in it. Um, but I think on the eve of the season, it's a natural point to take stock, isn't it? And see mm. kind of where are we? And I think Arsenal have done good business. I do believe that. I think they've I, made some really interesting signings. I like, uh, yeah, I agree. I like the signings that we've made. Yeah. At this and point. some of the contract business has been good in terms of Smith-Rowe and Balogun's was the end of last season. But uh, we're only, you know, whatever percentage of the way there, we're only halfway there in some respects. Um and I don't think we're going to get all the way there in terms of the remodelling that we wanted to see on this team. But, you know, I, I think we need Lukonga and Tavares. They look exciting, particularly Lukonga. But they weren't players bought to start this season, really. Only Ben White was. And I think we do need something else, somebody else who can make a difference in that first 11. Yeah. Um, 
maybe not in every game, you know, but someone who can rotate in and out and be a real uh, addition and change for this team. I think it would breathe some life into things and certainly make supporters feel a lot happier. Yeah, it's like at the moment, it's very difficult to see how much improvement we can make with the signings that we've made you know as much as we like them and we can see the logic to them and we talked about you know the strategy that appeared to be in place in terms of the age profiles of the players which is encouraging uh, as well mm. but yeah well that's the thing i mean uh, that's where so my sort of whatever i said i was 30 or 40 percent anxiety not much of that is to do with the transfer window because genuinely I do sympathise with the position the club find themselves in. I think it, it is a it is a tricky market in which to operate. But my what's giving me anxiety is the sense of is are the problems in this team um, from a kind of playing style and coaching perspective sort of still very present? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't blame Mikel Arteta for Arsenal's transfer window, but I do worry about uh, his ability to, you know, coach a team with sufficient attacking threat. That's that's what's uh, that's what's making me a little concerned. Yeah, I mean, do you think that some of our transfer market inactivity or or what have you could also be put down to the relative? inexperience that exists at uh, an executive level. I mean, is that unreasonable to worry about that side of things? I know Edu has, you know, done a lot of work with uh, Brazil and Corinthians. Mm. So he's not like an ingenue when it comes to the world of football executives, but when it comes to um, negotiating transfers with other clubs, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and uh, you know, I think it's fair to say we don't quite know yet what the what the financial restrictions he's working under are. Um, you know, does does that worry you a bit? Does the presence of Richard Garlic, who has lots of experience at Premier League level, does that offset some of that, or is it just yeah, simply I mean, a case that this market is this market, and it's just fucking impossible? Well, I, I think. Edu's job really isn't at this point the negotiating and the talking with clubs. You know, Richard Garlick is is really leading that from everything that I hear. Um, whether or not he's doing well or not, that is sort of more difficult to say. Mm. I mean, from what I from what I know, I think you know a lot of what he does has to go through the board anyway. So it's sort of unclear at this early point in his Arsenal career how much autonomy he has how much license he has to stick an extra few million on something mm. i think everything is being quite thoroughly uh checked uh, you know at arsenal at the moment and naturally i think given the financial situation there's a kind of um a need to make sure everything is kind of uh, what's the word that the numbers all add up mm. um I think Edu's job is more the strategic side, you know, the five-year plan, the vision for the team, that kind of stuff. And I, I, it's very difficult to assess him on that at this point. I, I just think, I, I, we, I think we have to, we have to judge it at the end of the window. As frustrating as that is, you know, people will say, "Why have Arsenal spent fifty million on centre half when they've got creative problems?" And I do understand that, but the thinking was never to do one and not the other. Mm. The thinking was to do both. Whether or not both are possible to get the right player. 
I, that's another question entirely. But I don't think they did Ben White thinking sod the attacking third of the pitch. We're not going to bother with it. I, yeah. I just think he was a deal that could be done quickly because Arsenal were the most aggressive club, and you know they knew the price and they paid the price. The other targets that they seemingly have have been less straightforward. Um, hmm. So yeah, it, it, we're going to have to wait and see. I mean, they know. Presumably they'll be judged on this. And actually, I think it's really important for both Mikel Arteta and Edu that they're seen to have a good transfer window. I think they find themselves under sufficient pressure. I think the fixtures they've got coming up mean that yeah. pressure is likely to increase. I, I, I think that um, the transfer window is always important, but I think it's of a kind of inflated importance this year to those guys and, and uh, they need to come out of it looking strong. And I... Yeah, I, I'm less confident than I was because of that difficulty in moving other players on, for sure. Okay, well, look, we're going to have more questions, I think, about the transfer market uh, in part two. So why don't we take a little break here? I'll see if I can get my anxiety levels down a bit. Uh, mm. I'm sort of heading towards 67 now at this point. I, I figure I could okay. be at about 117 by the end of the podcast. Um, oh, nice, okay. Yeah, so, you know, that's good. It's nice to be calm. and It's good to get sort of wound up for the new season. You <laughs> yeah, know, get excited. absolutely. Absolutely. If we can't be excited about the uh, the team, let's be furious. Why not? You want the adrenaline rush either way. <laughs> That's exactly it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Uh, just a reminder that the closing date for entries to the ArsBlog Patreon Fantasy Football League uh, is Friday at midday. So if you want to be in and in with a chance of winning the cash prizes and the Arsenal shirts, you have got to enter your team into the league uh, before Friday at midday. Are you confident that you can uh, have a good season uh, from a fantasy perspective, James? Yeah, I mean, I'll probably pick more Arsenal players than I reasonably should, as always, and sort of there'll be a degree of bias there mm. that will prove my undoing. But apart from that, uh, yeah, why not? Are you confident you can finish bottom this year? Uh, after being pipped to the post? I, I, I feel like I should be able to, but it's also, it feels like time wasted to make it happen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. 
Like I'd have to sit down and, you know, do the Tinker. things, do the tinkering, spend some time on this thing that I like. I just don't really enjoy fantasy football at all. Um, so finishing last is kind of a bit of fun, but I also feel like I could probably use my time to, uh, you know, in a more productive way. So I'm I'm vacillating on the on the situation. I may just pick a team and leave it and see where it ends up without touching it at all for an entire sure. season. Maybe that'll kind be my experiment. experiment. Yeah. Yeah. A ghost ship. That's what they call those teams. <laughs> Floating through the league. Floating um, through. What were we talking about before that? Oh, we were doing part one. Now it's part two. Now it's part questions. two. It's questions. Well, I'll go first. Yeah. I'll go, go first. This comes from the Discord. It comes from Super White Pill. Took a few of those in my time, I have to say. Anyway, uh, he says, good morning. Question for the pod today. Now that we have sold Willock, or almost sold him, do you think it's more likely that we bring in James Madison? And James Madison's name is doing the rounds at the moment as somebody who Arsenal are, are interested in. There's been talk of offers and heart exchange offers mm. and uh, I don't know we're probably offering Leicester some of that fucking dodgy crypto bollocks that we're uh, expected to pay for to have uh, our say on important fan matters um, you know we've we've been linked with James Madison a lot do you think the departure of Willock could facilitate that transfer it's possible I have to say I'm, I, I remain very sceptical about the Arsenal's interest in James Madison. Um, everything that I have heard or been told has suggested that his is not a name that is being discussed prominently at a high level within the club. Um, I think that the... I think James Madison is much more interested in Arsenal than Arsenal are currently interested in James Madison. Right. And I think... Um, People would say, why? Leicester Club on the up. I don't think we should kid ourselves about the appeal of Arsenal. I think they're still a, a, a huge club that pay big wages, that are based in London, that are part of the so-called Big Six, that were invited to be part of the European Super League, uh, no less, um, albeit slightly mm. ridiculously. I think a lot of players would like to come and play for Arsenal. I think James Madison's one of those players. I don't think that interest at this point is particularly reciprocal. But I don't rule it out because ultimately if um, Arsenal need a creative midfield player and James Madison keeps flashing his knickers at Arsenal Ooh. or whatever it might be, <laughs> maybe towards the end of the window you go, all right then James, let's have a little kiss or something. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I, I, I think, you know, does sorry does that mean um that in our search mm. for a creative midfielder if he is uh on the periphery of any interest we might have in fulfilling or or fulfilling somebody for that position that there is more definite interest in somebody else well unfortunately this is kind of the gap it, it, the, the knowledge gap. gap in my knowledge yeah. yeah I mean obviously I know we know that Martin Odegaard still figures prominently on that list but the other names it's often a case of sort of being able to say well it's not them and so for example Hussein we pretty much know it, it's not him with James Madison all the indications are 
it's not him. Um, and I know that that's frustrating for fans to hear because they want me to say, well, it's this person. But mm. uh, unsurprisingly, that information is actually sometimes more difficult to obtain. And, and I think, and as I said, I, I don't, and I'm not just saying this to cover my ass. I don't preclude, don't rule out the idea that Arsenal might, might, take up you know might pursue a deal for Madison what it looks like to me is that there are intermediaries trying to set up a deal here Mm. who are going Arsenal need a number 10 James Madison would like a nice big lucrative move you know there's a chance for me to make a few commission if I can make this happen and that happens in football all the time it might not even be Madison's agent it might be a third party someone who just says hey Arsenal uh, I know you need number 10 what about James Madison mm. James Madison hey I know you might like some more money how about Arsenal and they earn themselves a nice few quid out of setting that up and my interpretation is that I think that might be what's happening here and at the moment Arsenal are kind of not particularly hot on that prospect but if other targets fall through and if they feel they need something there maybe they will you know if someone's done all the groundwork for them and says this is the prize and this is what the player wants and there's a week to go in the window and he and he's willing to join and he's willing to join and you've got the money maybe you would do it you know i don't think we can say it won't happen because there is interest from some parties in making it work but all i would say is i think arsenal are the the less interested of those parties right now um and presumably you're right that's because they must have other targets because we're talking about number 10 and we all know how much of a priority it is. Mm. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it'd be interesting. I mean, I like Madison. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a really good player and I'm, I take no uh, satisfaction in kind of slightly dampening expectation around it. Mm. But I, uh, I, I'm just a bit wary of it at the moment. I'm just not entirely convinced it's happening. Yeah. Now, listen... Hats off to AFC Bell, who reported on Thomas Partey brilliantly last year and, you know, was proved right in the end. And I think because of that, there's a natural sense of like, here we go. It's changed. It's going to be James Madison this year. And if it is, I mean, what are we going to have to do for AFC Bell? Forget a blue tick. They're going to need a gold tick. But <laughs> um, for now, I, I would treat it with a little bit of caution. I think it's in I think it's in his interest for this link to be out there. Right. Um but I you know we need someone, don't we? We definitely do. We definitely need someone. Um What do you think of Madison as a prospect? I think he's a good player, but I don't re- you know and um what is the phrase I'm looking for here? Um beggars can't be choosers, is that it? You know, if you're absolutely yeah. starving Every morsel that comes along is delicious. And we are kind of starving in the creative sense. You know, I'm not 100% sure he's like a number 10 in the way that Odegaard is, for example. Um, He considers himself more of a number eight. He does, yeah. He he said that himself. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with him being a number eight in a team which plays... uh, with players who can uh, do that role, you know, if you get more creativity deeper in your midfield, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. I just, you know, personally, I just don't really see it as that credible in the sense that, you know, yeah, I've said this before, like, I just don't know that 
the deal makes a great deal of sense from our perspective, giving 60-odd million, 70 million pounds to a Leicester team that spend very well uh, and that we're competing with. And I don't think Madison quite gives us the, the, the improvement that we might like or the level of improvement that, that justifies giving uh, Leicester that money. Although I suppose you would make the argument if it makes the team better. Um, you know, maybe that's what we've got to focus on first and foremost, not necessarily what Leicester are going to do with the money that we might give them. But like you, I I remain a little bit skeptical about this this whole story. Um, the, the other thing is like, you know, we're talking about a potentially frenetic last few weeks of the window and a, a someone who's number five, six or seven on the target list might find themselves coming higher up the list. You know, we we, we really don't know how the dominoes are going to fall. Uh, I think it's particularly difficult this summer to tell that. So what's interesting is money is starting to flow around Europe, right? Some big deals are happening. Um, Lukaku's a, a, a big, mm. a big, a big one. So that know, puts pay to Martinez then, right? I think so. Yeah. And, and actually I know there were a lot of reports yesterday about Tottenham agreeing a fee for him. I'm not sure how relevant that is because what I'm hearing coming out of Italy and out of Inter is that they only ever really wanted to sell one of those strikers and Lukaku, the money that they were offered for him at his age and his desire to go back to the Premier League and play for Chelsea made that the most expedient way for them to come How much has he garnered in transfer fees, Lukaku? It must be astonishing. Yeah, an awful lot. But I mean, very few players guarantee you goals and... I think yeah. he pretty much does. does Even when yeah. his all-round game isn't as hot as it might be. You know, at United, he was criticised a lot for that, but he still scored. And, um, you know, I mean, I think it's quite a frightening prospect, to be honest, him coming back into that it's Chelsea side. quite the career, isn't it? You know, Anderlecht, then Chelsea, West Brom, Everton. <laughs> Everton, yeah. Man United, Inter Milan, and then full circle again to, to Chelsea. I mean, that's a hell of a... A hell of a deal. What is the final fee there? A hundred and what million for a 28-year-old? A hundred or so million, yeah. Yeah, it's a very different direction to... I mean, obviously, they were talking about Haaland quite seriously at Chelsea, and obviously, he's more at the beginning of his mm. prime years. Um, but that's not a deal they could do this summer, so they've gone for Lukaku. And that's, I guess, the luxury you have when you have their kind of financial resources. Mm. Um, but yeah, that will be very interesting to see how he... Because he's quite a different type of striker to, you know, Kai Havertz, who led the line for them a lot under Tuchel last season. Obviously, that frees up Tammy Abraham, mm. who has been linked with Arsenal. Um, there's some talk that he might go to Italy, I think maybe to Atalanta, somebody like that. Um, that seems to be gathering a bit of momentum. Again, Arsenal slightly paralysed by their inability to move uh, forwards on. I had a few questions about that, actually. Okay. So maybe I'll do that now. Hang on. Um, yeah, there was a couple of different ones, but let's try this one. So Emil Smith, row your boat, said, which <laughs> is the biggest priority? <laughs> which is the biggest priority? Getting rid of Aubameyang or Lacazette? If Aubameyang's last season wasn't just a blip, but an indication of decline, then two year- years two and three could be horrible. And then he says, Lacazette, on the other hand, seemingly has no future at the club and is blocking the minutes for a younger striker. On a similar theme. Sabino nine on the Discord said, "When are people going to wake up to the fact that for the last twelve months Lacazette has been our best striker, and we should have sold a Bemiang and offered Lacquer a new contract?" Oof. 
Um, what do you make of the striker situation and how much of a problem is it that Arsenal haven't been able to move on either of those ageing forwards? Well, I don't think they want or are trying to move on Lacazette or Aubameyang, rather. I think the one that they would move if we were going to bring in a new striker is is Lacazette. And maybe that's just the the only way it can really happen because of the contract we gave Aubameyang. It makes mm-hmm. him very completely, basically unaffordable to anyone else out there. Whereas Lacazette is 30, has a year left on his contract. And, you know, I suppose if worst comes to worst, he just goes on a free. Um, mm. What was the question again? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, I mean, I think going back to what we were talking about in the first half of the show, like, I think it is an issue that really does need to be sorted out. Whether it can happen this summer or not, you know, I sort of was expecting, I think under normal slash ideal circumstances, I would have been much more inclined to put Aubameyang's last season down as as a blip rather than a, a sign of, of genuine decline but um, it is a bit worrying what's going on with him as well so it's far from ideal I think Lacazette was certainly brighter than Aubameyang yesterday and I think probably he is more in line with what Arteta would like from a striker in terms of the role that he plays but right mm-hmm. now I think I think who would I start the season with? I mean, I think there's a danger Aubameyang starts the season on the bench. Even though I think if you get him playing as the striker and you put more creative players around him, it's probably the best way to uh, get goals from the players, the two players that we have. And, and I, it sounds weird because he's not scored at all in preseason. Um yeah, I mean, look, if someone came along tomorrow and said, we'll take both those strikers off your hands, here's a here's a decent 23, 24-year-old, and you've got Balagoon, yeah. you've got Martinelli coming along, would you you'd be inclined to do it, wouldn't you? I think so, yeah. I think if you really felt you were getting a young star who could lead the line for the next few years, mm. you know, if Arsenal had been able to get Lautaro Martinez, say, I think you would happily have let Aubameyang go potentially you know if, if that's what it took mm. um, to kind of refresh that attacking part of the pitch but I do think that Lacazette is the one that made more sense to move this summer because of the contract situation yeah. um, I think that was the priority really to find a buyer for him I think it's obviously proven very difficult and, and if he is going to stay I mean it, I, I did think yesterday you know, I looked at Shaka and Lacazette and I thought they're players that basically nobody really, well, not many fans wanted to stay this summer. And I I do agree, I think, with a lot of those reasons. But if they are going to stay, you want them to look sharp. And I thought they looked pretty sharp yesterday, actually, both of them. I thought they had good moments. Um, and I think it's a really di- difficult call, the centre-forward one for Brentford. I wonder if... Saka not being quite ready might make the decision for mm. Arteta and he'll, he'll end up with a bang on the left. But um, 
I would probably edge towards Lacazette as the centre forward right now. Although I, I accept your point, a good Aubameyang is better than a good Lacazette. Mm. But we're not getting that right now. Yeah. I mean, there was a question, let me see if I can find it, uh, from Jack Linehan, who's at JJ15Q on Twitter. He says, simple, one prediction for, simple, one prediction for the team on Friday. So, oh no, I've read that wrong because there's no um, uh, punctuation. So this is all your fault, Jack. Simple one, prediction for uh, the team on Friday. There you go. Okay. Um, uh, Burn Leno in goal. Right. Fingers crossed. Uh, Tierney, I think it will be Marie, mm-hmm. but if Holding was available, I'd be very tempted by Rob Holding alongside Ben White, but I think it will be Marie. I think it will be Callum Chambers. I think it will be Lakonga and Shaka, And then I think it will be Smith Rowe, Pepe on the right. And I think it will be Aubameyang on the left, Lacazette up front. Mm-hmm. That is my prediction, not necessarily what I would pick, but that's what I predict. What about you? Uh, I, yeah, same. Do you think Bellerin might start? I think Bellerin might start. I think that's maybe why he was in the team yesterday. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be Shaka and Lakonga, Smith Rowe. I just have a feeling Saka will start. And I don't. Okay, I hope that's right. I don't quite know who the the centre forward is going to be. But if you were to put me on the spot right now and make me predict what Mikel Arteta, what I think Mikel Arteta would do. Again, not what I would do. I have a feeling it could be Lacazette. Yeah, I mean, it, it would feel quite a big call because Aubameyang, let's mm. forget, is the club captain, the highest paid player, all those things. You know, the one real sort of star, established star in this team, in this mm. squad. Um, it would be a big decision. What about centre-half? Would you... Would you pick Marie or would you pick somebody else? Well, I mean, I don't think there is anyone else. If Rob Holding is injured... Mm. Um, if Rob Holding is fit, though, if he was to be with that... I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of Rob Holding and Ben White starting that game. Um, no, nor I. Nor I. I don't really... Uh, I know people have... Uh, and I suppose it makes sense, you know, Ben White or Rob Holding feels like a bit of an either-or. But I don't necessarily rule out Rob Holding as a a potential candidate for the left-sided centre-half role. He has played there before, played some uh, pretty decent football there before. The more I see of Pablo Marie, the less convinced I am. Mm. Um, and I think the injury update regarding Gabriel is a little vague still. Mm. So... I don't think that position is quite as nailed down as the right-hand side appears to be. Obviously, when you spend £50 million on a centre-half, that guy is starting. He's he's in the team. So uh, I think there's still something to play for there. But um, if Holding wasn't fit for the game uh, on Sunday, I don't know that he's going to be ready for the game on uh, Friday night. So there we go. Um, yeah, I mean, look, maybe it's just one? my anxiety feeding into oh, that striking decision. Maybe it will be Aubameyang. I mean, he did play Aubameyang there the whole time, pretty much yeah. towards the end of last season. So uh, I did. suppose it will depend on, you know, what they're seeing from preseason, what they're seeing behind closed doors and on the training ground as well. If they feel that there might be an issue of sharpness with, with Aubameyang uh, still, maybe they go with Lacazette, but uh, I guess we'll see. And we don't, we don't have long to wait. Yeah. yeah, and if there's still a possibility of selling Lacazette, maybe they... 
you know won't want to lean on him in those first mm. few weeks of the season but I'm not sure quite how likely that is um, what about this question I like this from guest t96 on Twitter is the PR nightmare around Edu being on his holidays amplifying how bad the summer business has been would the club get more sympathy if it was presumed that Edu was in London not many clubs have been <laughs> able to sell well so far this summer um, I don't think it's helpful for the mood no. of the fan base, that's for sure. Like, I do wonder how those images are discussed or perceived internally, if you like. Um, mm. You know, in a difficult market where everybody knows it's difficult. Uh, Edu being in Spain or being on a yacht with Raul and Kia, well, that's not great. Let's face it, that's really not great. But, you know, just the, the optics of... Here I am in Spain, having a nice time, and look, everyone is entitled to leisure time. Everyone is entitled to time off. The world is, uh, um, you know, sufficiently connected right now that you can pretty much work from anywhere. All you need is your phone. Lots of shit goes down on WhatsApp, you know. For but sure. I, I yeah. just think that... You know, so it's not to say that just because he's in Spain, he's sort of lying around with his feet up drinking pina coladas all day and not doing anything. But I don't think it looks good. I don't think it's particularly helpful for for him. It doesn't necessarily portray the image of seriousness that I think is required this summer for Arsenal. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. There are uh, people out there, I'm sure, who follow every technical director in the Premier League and European football on Instagram. But I can't imagine there are too many who are, who are you know, actively on social media. And I know this is it's secondhand in a way. And it's not Edu himself who's posting all these things up, um, I think we should point out. But, yeah, I just don't think it looks great. And it doesn't convince people that you're... you're Serious. Mm. Yeah, I th I think that's where I am with it. I don't really care that Edu is going on holiday with his family, or, or holiday is probably the wrong word. Travelling abroad um, with his family, I don't really have a problem with that. I think football business, particularly since the pandemic, is conducted via mobile phones and laptops and Zoom meetings and mm. all those kinds of things. There's very little happening in person, even though restrictions have lifted in this country. Um, and there's nothing that prohibits him from doing those things. You know, he's not exactly going to be like, oh, I won't make a call because I don't want to run up a big phone bill. I think he's going to be all right. So <laughs> I'm sure he is working and I'm sure he's working hard, but I think it does look bad. I think it's naive of mm. him to allow himself to be photographed in those circumstances. Take the photographs. Just you just don't have to put them yeah. online until the end of the window or whatever, you know? And I know that's not all within his control, but you you would think that that could be maybe better managed. And I think what I think about Edu is he just sort of... Um, we have to remember he's a Brazilian international footballer. He's quite sort of separated from normal fans lives and I think he operates in a way where he genuinely doesn't really see what's bad quite often in how he's presented you know I think back to the association with Jarabchin for example and mm. I, I genuinely think he didn't see why that would be a problem and similarly when he turned up on the 
yacht or whatever it was the other day with Raul and Kia. I, I genuinely believe that he just doesn't see the issue in the same way that we would see it. Um, but there are plenty of people within Arsenal who do understand those things and mm. who would understand that and who would be able to say, look, these may just be your friends to you. This may just be a trip abroad to you. But think of how it plays in on social media. Mm. Think of how it plays among the international fan base and all those kinds of things. I do think that Arsenal could do worse than to have a, a word with Edu about this stuff. Yeah. Because unfortunately, if Arsenal don't get the business done that they needed to, you and I and everybody else will be making wisecracks about Edu being on holiday. And that's that's something, unfortunately, that he's kind of brought on himself. Yeah. I did like this from Dickie Law on Twitter, at DickLaw1, who says, is Edu's current role playing to his strengths or should he be moved to a new role in charge of travel logistics for away games? <laughs> Location scout. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Anyway. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate. And I, I do think... Um, I think I think the question had it right. I think it's bad PR, basically. Okay, here's one from Rob T, who's at Rob Tonkinson on Twitter. He says, as it stands, what's your minimum expectation on Arteta this season for him still to be in this job next time next season? I think he's got to finish in the top six. Mm. Uh, um, is that the minimum? I think as it stands, as it stands, I think that's going to be a challenge. Do you? Yeah, I mean... I do, you know. Um, I, I, I was I was asked this morning, what, you know, what my prediction is kind of for Arsenal's finish. I think as it stands, top four looks incredibly difficult. You know, even with the kind of advantageous thing of us not having European competition and an easier schedule, if you look at... Man City are Man City, right? They're always very strong. You look mm. at Chelsea, we talked about adding Lukaku. Manchester United um, had a decent, they came second last year. They've added Jaden Sancho, they've added Rafael Varane. Um, mm. They've got a lot of firepower. I haven't mentioned Liverpool, who have Virgil van Dijk back and playing for them. Probably they're not going to be as bad as they were last season. I mean, already that makes top four, I think, really tough. You're you're sort of banking on one of those teams really not going to plan things for them. And then after that, you're looking at kind of Leicester, Spurs and us, I would say, as competing for the two remaining places in the top six. Um, yeah. Um, and so I think, do I think that's the minimum for him to stay in the job? I mean, honestly, no. I, I honestly think he could stay in the job if he finishes seventh. I, I, I can foresee that happening under the Cronkies and, and with the degree of faith they have in him. Um, <sighs> I think it's got to be better than last season. Is the bare, is the minimum that will mean he doesn't get sacked? Basically, okay. I mean, how do you? How do we? Um, I mean, there are very obvious ways as as to how you can uh, judge what is. And isn't better yeah. than last season, right? So, you know, results yeah. and the amount of points League and everything position, else. Yada, yada. You know, uh, but we finished, what, uh, eighth on 61 points with Chelsea in fourth on 67 points. Mm. Um, that's only six points off the top four. And when you think about 
some of the games that we played last season and some of the points that we dropped and the manner in which we dropped some of those points and that that run um in November December which was so so damaging you could make a case and say well you can see quite easily how Arsenal might improve yeah i mean at the we're same time gloomy yeah i think we are gloomy um and this is the but, this is the balance i guess of you know how how here is here's a question uh let me just bring it up here from from West Antone at West Antone who says do you see any sign that we might be able to improve by the 6 to 10 points needed to get ourselves into the Champions League mix this season anything uh, that suggests we can do this via marginal gains or is it simply that we need better players for what it's worth i see very little of either so uh, do, how does how do you react to that based on, uh, you know, the six-point gap that existed uh, last season, which was, I, I think, in some ways helped by a very strong end to the season. Did we win our last five games, something like that? You know, um, yeah. I mean, can I, you see the that there's improvement or the, the ability to improve even with what we've got right now? I mean, look, we're supporters, aren't we? So our sort of glass kind of flits between being half full and half empty. Mm. You know, we mustn't forget that in the second half of the Premier League season, our results were strong. We were, I think I'm right in saying, the third best team in the league uh, after Boxing Day. Um, That's not bad. I mean... That's you know if we if we finish third we'll have had a hell of a season, um, so you know we did have that really diabolical run uh, in the winter of last year, mm. and if we can just avoid that, then we'll be in a much stronger position. But I think I think that Arsenal is a a particular club, and I think that if the football is not captivating. I think that will be very difficult for Mikel Arteta to overcome. Mm. I basically think he can probably finish seventh if it feels like there's a young, exciting team and it feels like we've made progress in other less tangible ways. But if he continues to play quite sort of turgid football, Mm. then he absolutely needs to finish in the top six to have a foothold because supporters will tire of it very quickly. Um, Ideally, we'd have both. Mm. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and, and I don't... I, I think... I, do I have hope that we can pl- get results? Yeah. Because in the second half of last season, we did churn out a lot of results. But I'm less optimistic that we're going to blossom into the kind of Arsenal team that, that the modern supporter expects. Hmm. I'm less optimistic about that happening with this current group of players and this manager. Um, so, he, so consequently, he will need the results. Where, where do you draw that particular line then? Like, do do you? If we did, let's say, go out and buy a new striker, and we brought in a you know a, a Madison or an Odegaard or another creative midfielder. Do you think there would be a substantial difference in the kind of football that we try and play? Or do you think this is something like, have we seen enough of what Mikel Arteta does now to 
to sort of nail our colors uh, to to that particular mast in the sense of like how how the team is going to play I don't think he's ever going to play Arsene Wenger's football you know or anything like it I think it's always going to have <clears throat> that element of control mm. and that that can still nonetheless be exciting I mean I forget which Europa League game it was it was an away game maybe it was Prague or something like that where we just blew them away you know we scored a few goals in quick succession and you know we scored about three or four goals in about 20 minutes and then we went back to playing quite sort of dur solid mm. stuff but afterwards fans are like that was electrifying and it's the answer was yes it was for like 15 minutes um but i don't think mick arteta is ever going to be a coach who is just sending wave after wave of player forward um i don't think that's who he is what do you think no i don't think that's who he is either and my hope that the kind of football he wants to play would be more informed by his upbringing at Barcelona and under Arsene Wenger and even, you know, Pep Guardiola, whose teams attack, although there is a sort of methodical structure to the way that they just dominate possession to to make goals happen rather than being particularly exciting. You know, City have Mm -hmm. amazing players and those players can do amazing things, but I don't know that Pep Guardiola's philosophy itself is particularly exciting, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so my my hope that he would be a bit more, I don't want to say flamboyant, uh, I don't think that's the right word, but there would just be a little less handbrake, a little more room for expression or improvisation in terms of how we play, like, mm. we put in a lot of crosses, and we don't mm-hmm. really have anyone in there to get on the end of those crosses. So I'm not quite no. sure what it is that we're doing, unless that piece comes into the team. Yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So maybe it's yeah. it's all preparation for that new striker. Sammy Abraham. Or, yeah. Well, <laughs> or, or, yeah, a striker. Or you 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 instruct Aubameyang to play in, in that way. I mean, that's really what he's um, good at, is getting on the end of things in the box. It's his movement, which is his um, is his super quality, isn't it? You know, that, yeah, that ability to get in there. But then, yeah, it hasn't worked so far in, in preseason anyway. So, I don't know. I just wonder. I, I go between things like that. I look at the table from last season, and I think, you know, there's a... <sighs> We shouldn't lose 13 games, even with those players. No. You know what I mean? We should not lose 13 Premier League games, even with the players that we have. Uh, and I see I see that as something that we can improve on. And if we can improve on that, then why couldn't we improve our final position in the Premier League? And then I just sort of think about the sameness. The sort of It feels a bit stale going into the start of a new season. And they well, could surprise Dean, us. Dean you know, we could. That. What? Sorry, go on. I was just going to say there was a question from Dean, DJ, DJ Stanners, who said, Have you ever gone into a season before with so little excitement? Already feels like Groundhog Day, and we haven't even played our first game. Mm, I'm sh- Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I can't quite remember. Um, I'm usually the kind of person that when the season is starting, I. I have this childlike optimism about what we could do as a football club. And I've always had that, Um, you know, win your first few games, you get off to a good start, everything's rosy. You just never know in football, all that kind of stuff. 
Mm. And I don't have that this <laughs> this year. Um, I have got fear about what the start of the season might bring us for various mm. reasons. You know, the fixture list has not been kind. Uh, let's be clear about that. Um, and it's it's difficult to know that you're going to face City and you're going to face Chelsea early on. And there's, I think, a North London derby in the first six games as well. And you're playing a newly promoted, exciting newly promoted side on the opening day, which could be good. But, you know, you know how it is for, for teams. They're in the Premier League. They're keen to make an impression particularly, you know, Brentford aren't going to go into this game against us with any fear, are they? I don't think so. No. Why should no, they? I mean, they'll be well up for it. Yeah, exactly. You know, so those kind of things. So that's kind of where I am. Like, I see somebody could lay out the argument that Arsenal are better than uh, a team that loses 13 games in the Premier League season. Mm. And that should be sufficient room for some improvement if not massive improvement but some but then yeah i'm just i'm just not feeling it i'm not feeling it like it's not that i'm dreading it but i'm definitely not feeling that that excitement of uh of what the new season could bring and look we could sit here we could be sitting here in 3 weeks time after remarkable wins against Chelsea and Man City and uh, Brentford in the opening three games. I get that it's unlikely, but it's not impossible in football for something like this to happen. And everything would feel very different on the basis of that. But after what we've seen from preseason, after, you know, the, the, the gaps that haven't quite been filled yet in the squad that really need to be filled it's hard to muster up the kind of enthusiasm or excitement that I would like to have. And that's just, mm. that's just where I am with it. So I think that my uh, perspective on this is maybe slightly different because I'm someone who's lucky enough to get to go to more games and that mm. experience of having fans back in the stadium does make me a lot more excited about this season than I certainly was about last season. And yeah, probably have been for some time because I just think it will feel that much more vital and uh, real and recognisable as the sport and the entertainment that we love. So there's that whole component to it that slightly Mm. shifts my perspective. From an Arsenal point of view, yes, I, I, I see that it is underwhelming given what we hoped for at the start of the summer. Yeah. Um, But I also, and it's just my nature, I guess, to be, uh, to, to look for positives. I am also very excited about people like Saka, Smith Rowe, Martinelli. The joy of these young players is that theoretically they can improve year on year. And you never know when that year might come, when they explode, you know, when they really just kick on and reach unexpected heights um, and and all of that trio and maybe some others Kieran Tierney yeah, Kieran Tierney yeah, yeah. yeah have, have the potential to do that so you know there are two sides to this coin and I'm hopeful that those positives will outweigh the concerns and become the kind of defining factor of our season I mean that's the nature of narrative isn't it depending on how Arsenal do this will be the story of how the young players um, blossomed beautifully or the story of how 
the older players, the ones we've sort of known and are tired of, held them back. Um, mm. But yeah, it's going it, it, it's going to be an interesting campaign. I mean, also one where we don't have European football. There will be huge focus and scrutiny on every single Premier League game. It will feel a bit like thirty eight. Uh, if not cup finals, certainly mm. cup quarterfinals, big games, and um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm optimistic, but I'm excited for it. Still, I can't help myself. I'm a football fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, I see it, and I, see, I you know, I, I can talk myself into the the Smith Rowe, the Saka, the Martinelli, yeah. the you know Pepe, and uh, like I'd feel. I think probably I would feel less anxious if Thomas Partey was fit for the opening games of the season because of I think that, you know that's a huge blow to the to the midfield and I'm glad that it appears that we're going to go with you know the new signing there's a little bit of adventure a little bit of bravery there perhaps you know rather than just do the same old thing uh, I could be wrong we'll see what happens on Friday with team selection um you know I can see those things and I think you're right to point out the the fans being back will will bring something else to proceedings as well um the 38 game thing I think is really quite an interesting aspect to this because quite mm. often if something goes wrong at the weekend you you can get back on that horse pretty quickly with a European game you know what I mean? Um, and we dissect games to death as it is. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But without, without that next game in midweek, you the know. The level of analysis is yeah. going to be intense, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that could be, that will be difficult for a manager. But, um, you know, a lot of people wanted this. A lot of people wanted Arsenal to just be able to focus on the Premier League. Um, and now we've got it. So... Yeah, it's a big season. It's a big season for Mikel Arteta. Mm. Um, probably a defining season of his time with Arsenal. Um, because, you know, if it goes well, they probably have to look at giving him a new contract. Um, if it doesn't go well... Mm. They've got to look for uh, a new manager. He's going to be in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So, this is the one. Yeah, I think he's got to get back into Europe. I think, yeah. he, you know, obviously circumstances and context are how we view a season when it comes right down to it next May there will be circumstances there will be context to to put a, a final league position in but I do think that the minimum requirement even as it stands with the gaps in the squad and with the players that we have that maybe people are a bit tired of top six has got to be the minimum requirement for Mikel Arteta that's well put I think well back into Europe I think is the one you know I even think if he finished seventh and won a cup or something, he'd be mm. okay. But Arsenal need that European revenue, yeah, um, and they need it from a status point of view. It's just, it's essential for the for the progress of the club, progress of the team, for us getting back to where we need to be. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see how he looks at those domestic cups as well without European football. Um, you know, what, what, is that something he'll put a little bit of emphasis on? Who knows? Yeah, I we think should. so. Um, let's do a couple of quick ones, uh, some quick ones, quick fire ones to um, mm -hmm. to finish off. Uh, Harry Page, who's at Page HCY on Twitter, says uh, the end of the Grealish article in the Athletic reference to change in homegrown quotas. Is this something you've heard about? Does this change our plan with, uh, for example, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Reese Nelson? And just to read out the line, it says there is a suspicion among Premier League clubs that Brexit will dictate that stricter homegrown quotas could be imposed on English football in the next year or so. And if that were the case, then players like Grealish and Kane would cost even more um, 
could that explain some of our Anglo-focused transfer rumours? I mean, I guess it could be a factor. I mean, a lot of the rules and Brexit regulations regarding football have already been laid out and that wasn't among them. So mm. I don't think there's anything to suggest that that's... I mean, listen, I'm sure if my colleagues are reporting it that that must be something clubs are talking about. But that may just be paranoia on their part. Um, but it could happen. I just think there are a lot of reasons that homegrown players are valuable and we've talked about some of them today in terms of them retaining value and uh, also obviously the the quotas that currently exist so uh, it could be a factor but it would be quite speculative to say well we're going to spend 50 million on Ben White because of a rule that mm. might come in you know I think yeah. I think we have to look at the other factors around those players first and foremost and, and wonder if that might be the thing um Let's have another question. So, oh, Fred, who's at RLF86, said, what kind of atmosphere are you expecting at the Arsenal games? Lots of clapping, chanting, people happy to be there again, or lots of tension and discontent due to perceived gripes against players, manager, transfer activity, etc.? I think when you're in the stands and you're looking on the pitch and you're seeing Arsenal players in red and white and you're seeing, for example, Chelsea, that's the first home Mm. game, Mm. You know, I think people can and will and should, I guess, you know, put their their issues with whatever's going on to one side and focus on hating the fuck out of Chelsea because that's the way it should work. That's the way it does work. Mm. How the reception might be at the end of a game if we don't play well or if we lose, that's a different thing. Um, but I think during games and at the start of games, I don't think people are going to be um, going crazy about that stuff just yet. Do you? I mean, do you remember the? Was it the summer when we signed Ozil and we lost? Was it to Aston Villa? Yeah, and Koscielny was sent off, and you know, I think it it was on the opening day. Went a bit crazy afterwards, but despite all the. The clamour for signing taking the pride out of it because he just—that's that, the that one. Was that, that was that one, yeah. Um, but despite all that, you know, I think while the game was on, people were behind the team, and I think that's mm. what will be the case. Um, and hopefully, the results and the performances will will um, will be good enough that people continue in that way, that fans continue in that. I mean, I think you know we've spent a year out of the stadiums. Uh, and I do wonder if there is an element in which we've tried, not that we've tried to replace that experience, but like a greater deal of introspection has taken place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As a kind of gap filler. I'm not quite sure if I'm explaining myself well enough here. But, I, you know, it's not to say that when, when people get back in the stadium, they're just going to be happy clappy because they're back in the stadium. But I think there is something mm-hmm. about the experience of watching a football match and supporting your team and getting behind your team and behind your club, whatever issues you might have with them. Like, you know, when the, when the game is on and the 90 minutes are being played, you know, you're carried along by that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that. I do know exactly what you mean. I think... I think there will be a, a, a buoyant atmosphere, certainly in those first home games. I just hope we can get the results. Yeah, too, for too sure. Much. Um, what about this one? Go on, yeah, quickly. sorry. Um, it's about Eddie Enketia. Chris13 on the Discord said, with the injury updates that have been released and Enketia ruled out for around four weeks, does this end any exit we had lined up for him? 
I think it complicates it, for sure. Yeah. But I don't know that it necessarily ends it. I mean, I think there's still no. a way of, um, you know, doing deals, um, you know, with a player who's maybe not 100% fit, but, you know, the injury is pretty minor. So I don't think it ends it, but it does complicate it, of course, you know, because, again, clubs might want to wait until uh, the end of the window to do I mean, what's the point in doing a deal for Eddie and Keddie now when he can't play for True. four weeks? What are you going to do, just pay him wages when he can't play? He can't really train? You know, so I think they'll probably wait a while. Um, so it's one of those that will push out towards the end of the window. I don't think it prohibits a deal entirely, mm. though. I mean, let's not forget, we're the club who signed someone with a broken back, so anything is possible. <laughs> um, people are prepared to take a gamble on a player if he's generally yeah. fit and healthy. Um, so I think that will be okay, but I think you might be right. It might mean it waits till the very, very end. Mm. Uh, feeling the Strings on Discord says, two years ago we were all talking about Reese Nelson in the same vein as Jaden uh, Sancho. These days, not so much. Is it fair mm. to say that Reese has not quite applied himself or has made some questionable choices or have Arsenal and Arteta simply failed to get the best out of him? More importantly, where do we go from here? Well, I, I actually think that... Um, sometimes with young players it's very fine margins that make a huge difference uh, in terms of their development and you know I'm not saying that Reese Nelson is as gifted as Jaden Sancho I, I wouldn't be able to say I don't know them either of them well enough as players but sometimes you know divergence of path can, can mean a lot and Reese Nelson hasn't really had the breaks at Arsenal he's not had a huge amount of opportunities I think it would be unfair for us to say he hasn't applied himself. Mm. I don't think we can. Yeah, nobody know can that. know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he does need to go and play though. And you know what? So funny. We're talking about this conversation of looking for wide players. Not got Willian. Not got Martinelli. Got a Bamiang stuck out there. Is Saka fit? We didn't mention Reese Nelson's name once, mm. and that tells you a little bit about where his stock is with Arsenal. Yeah, I think he should leave the club. Um, if I were him, I would probably do it permanently, but a loan could also be good if it puts him in the shop window. But I think... But Arsenal can't he, loan him, can they? Because he's got a year left on his contract. Not without so. him signing a new deal. Yeah. No, no. Um, which I think they they would be open to, but whether or not he would. He's 21. He's not, you know, he's still a young player. He won't be 22 until Christmas. Mm. But I think he's at the age where he needs to start delivering against his potential. And coaches like him, you know, a lot of coaches have seen something in him. Arsene Wenger certainly did. It's always felt a bit like Mikel Arteta has. Um, and he's always been quite apologetic about how little he's played. But, yeah, I think we need to... Uh, I think I think he needs to move on, really, for his own sake. Yeah. And I, I think there is definitely a talented player in there. Whether or not we ever see it, uh, whether or not he ever fulfills that potential, I'm not so sure. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I think he... Like, last season, I think, was a waste. He should have gone on loan at least in January. Um, I think we forget that he played quite a bit under Mikel Arteta when he came in first. Yeah. You did. know, so if if the manager was prepared to put some faith in him at that point, particularly at a time when he needed to come in and, and stabilize things, I'm a little surprised at how it's gone. You know, how little he Same. played last Same. season. I don't know how many minutes he got last season. I think he got maybe 13 minutes of Premier League football last season. I can't quite remember. But, you know, it wasn't anywhere near what he should be getting at his age. Um, it does feel like the only way is is out at this point. But, you know... I, I just see that they, they're allowing nine substitutes on the bench 
next season oh, in the really? Premier League. Yeah, just read that somewhere. Wow. So you know, there's there's room, there's room on the bench anyway. That's for sure. Um, very final one. Very final one then from uh, Arsenal Cannon Picks, who's at Ars Cannon Picks. Um, he says, it's my birthday today. Happy birthday. Happy I sh- birthday. I share it with Jordi Armstrong, but also Willian and Mikel Sylvester. He said, do you or James share your birthdays with any Arsenal players past or present? Do you know this? Is this I, part of your Arsenal know, trivia? Actually, I don't know. Um, Arsenal birthdays. Is there a website that's accumulated it for I me? I hope so. Um, do you know yours? Yeah, I do know Go this. On. Kieran Gibbs. Oh, okay. Not too bad. Kieran Gibbs is um, the same birthday as me, September 26th. I share my birthday with Odion Igalo, um, the former Manchester United striker. Mm. But no one else of any great note, and certainly no Arsenal players, June the 16th. Um, Can't find anybody. Jurgen Klopp. Shares my birthday. June the 16th. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Um, Mark Crosley, sure. Having a look here. No, I, I mean, I'm pretty much out of options. No signs of an Arsenal player here. But there you go. There you go. Okay. We need Shame. to sort that out. Anyway, happy so birthday you're, you're to you're Kieran us. Gibbs. I'm Kieran Gibbs, yeah. I'm Kieran Gibbs. Wow. I am Kieran Gibbs. It's been Let's a long con all along. What? How old is Kieran Gibbs now? How old is Kieran Gibbs now? Yeah. 31? Very well done. Yeah? That's bang on. Yeah. Okay. 31 years old. Wow. Where is he playing now? Is he still with West Brom? No, he's in America, isn't he? Uh, into Miami. Oh, God, for. love him. Poor yeah. guy. I'm sure he'll have a nice time in Miami. No, I just I meant the whole Phil Neville thing, obviously. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That can't be out. That's no good. All right. Look, we have gone long enough. Um, plenty to come this week, of course, because there is the start of a brand new season. We'll be doing our preview podcast over on Patreon, the uh, the usual um, Arscast podcast. Uh, season previews will be taking place as well later in the week. Uh, we're going to do mm-hmm. something on your book. Yeah, your book be fun. Tomorrow. So I'm going to talk to James about his book called The Champ and the Chump, um, mm-hmm. which I, I'll i I'll save all my thoughts and what have you on the book until we talk tomorrow. All your criticism. So, yeah, yeah. The, the many <laughs> criticisms, the pages I have. You're going to go through your notes page by page. <clears throat> now listen, James. Uh, uh, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. But uh, yeah, how's the, the reaction has been good? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird with the book because... You know, I'm used to doing things like shows, you know, where it's like you go out on stage and you do it and then everyone claps at the end and you feel good about yourself. Mm. With a book, uh, the feedback loop is kind of longer, right? You know, yeah. people have to actually go away and digest it and stuff like that. But yes, the feedback that I've had so far has been great. And there's obviously an, an audio book as well. I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast have gone for the audio book, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, if, if, you, if you're sort of not sick of my voice after an hour and a half of this every week, <laughs> more of it, that is always an option. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about it tomorrow. That'll be really fun. Okay, cool. And even more good news for you. I have discovered an Arsenal yeah. birthday. No, you haven't. I have. 
I oh, have. what what a birthday present! Absolutely. Am I going to be pleased with it? I think so. I mean, it's a, it's a legend. Okay. Former goalkeeper James Shea. No way. Absolutely. The very James. same. His name is James as well. So now at Luton Town. Hmm. Five years younger than me, nineteen ninety-one. So he, yes. I don't think he... Did he ever play for Arsenal? I'm not sure he did. I think he, you know, played for the under-21s. He was a He a was on the bench prospect. for a Champions League game once. Wow. There you go. Wow, wow, wow. Um, he's a Gemini, is he? That makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> interesting. All right, well, James Shea, good luck to him. He's at Luton Town. He's been at AFC Wimbledon as well. You'll have to remember, yeah, this time next year, send him a, a birthday tweet or a I'll birthday card. I'll tweet him. I'll yeah. be like, hey, man, we're birthday buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll love that. I'm sure he'll love that. Right, that'll make his birthday. <laughs> All right, look, uh, we will leave it there. Thank you, as always, for being here. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. And, of course, uh, we'll catch you on the next one of these. All right. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.